Coming up next, The Bookening discusses the book of the Duncow in all its glory. everybody, welcome to The Bookening. I am Nathan. I am your humble and obedient host. What's this I see before me? I see the pastor who is a master of reading right That's there. me. That's I'm him. right here. He's yep. in, what, what's his name? What? What? I don't know. Jake Menzel. That's me. The yep. man, the myth, for a the second, legend. But, yeah. Or Shirley Brandon, we've decided maybe to call you. Oh, that's my, that's my name. Yeah. Shirley Brandon. Well, I tried to... Do it like a voice to text thing earlier, and it made a name called Shirley Brandon because I was I was saying like assuredly Brandon, you know that that kind of thing. Like Shirley Brandon will want to record tonight, but yeah, then it turned into Shirley Brandon. Hey, yeah, this is some quality content. This is an exciting podcast. Brandon had to go switch out his computer or something like that, but he will be joining yep, us any second, any second. Brandon will be here, and until that time. What should we talk about, Jake? Mazel tov. Ma- oh, yeah. Mm, tempted to go get one of those for myself, but then you'd be stuck doing the podcast all by yourself. I can carry it. Oh, yeah. Well, if Jake's just going to vamp, this will be fun to see what happens. All right. I'll be right back, folks. Jake is going to carry it. This is going to be the most entertaining, informative, and I'm going to say it, spiritually uplift two or three minutes that you've ever experienced. Here I go. Sure. Here we go. So... I am just going to take this opportunity with nobody here to say that I appreciate you guys listening to the bookening, but you really need to be listening to Sanity at the Movies. And here's why. Books, well, first of all, you're listening to podcasts. And we do podcasts because they're the kinds of things that you can consume actively. You know, you can be doing different things. You can you can pick the f- speed at which you listen to it. You can go back t- 10 or 15 or forward 30. You're in control. You can be on a walk, you can be at the gym. Some of you right now are no doubt in the kitchen doing the dishes or making muffins or something like that. So you're doing those sorts of things, but it's an active sort of thing. It's a little one-sided. We've recorded it. You can't do anything about it. Not exactly like a lecture or a sermon or a lesson or anything like that. Hey, Brandon, you're here now. Hey, told you. It would I'm take vamping. I told Nathan, minutes. I need you to be quiet. I, I'm filling up this space while Nathan makes himself a drink. Is so, that what doing? Yeah. <laughs> Lectures, sermons, lessons, they're interactive. There's audience feedback. A comedian knows the temperature of a room. He makes adjustments. A professor does the same sort of thing. A teacher, a, a politician giving a speech. Pastor delivering a sermon, that's an interaction with the congregation. You can't just consume a sermon and be a part of one on a video screen. It's not the same thing. You have to be in the room. But video, content, movies by nature are passive, more passive than any other medium. They're one-sided, and it doesn't matter how actively you intend to engage them. You are willingly placing yourself in a position of subordination. You're willingly placing yourself in a position of subjection to the will and the whim of a movie maker. And if they've done their job and you do yours, if you've entered into a contract with them to place yourself under them, then you release yourself into their hands. You're carried along mentally, emotionally, sort of 
adrift in the sea of the story that they're telling. Books, what you're here for, they're one-sided too, but they're not immersive. Not in the same way. They can be immersive, but you're not intended to sit alone in the dark, consuming them all in one uninterrupted sitting. You're allowed to do it in the sunlight, with distractions, with other things going on, a chunk at a time, a piece at a time. You can do it with a pencil or a pen in hand. And even when it comes to fiction, even good teachers will tell you to do that sort of thing. Jake, and they're not multi-sensory. Jake is wearing they're like no a moving. black turtle neck right now. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Nathan, shut your <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This, this is Jake's show. This is my <laughs> TED Talk, okay? <laughs> what are you talking about? Are you, are there you are no the moving. It, again? It does, no, no, no. I'm hoping this leads to an amazing pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are so no moving. When you're reading a book, Stop. <laughs> You handed me the mic, and I'm taking it, and you sit down and shut up until I'm done. Wow. If you... (laughs) This was a mistake, folks. I'm so sorry. In a book, there are no moving images. There are no facial expressions. There's no intonation. You supply those things yourself from the stores of your own imagination. There's no score. There's no music telling you how to feel, telling you that something is epic or sad or happy or funny. You supply that from how you interpret what's on the page. That's not true with movies. Every frame, every camera angle, every facial expression, every intonation, every note in the score is designed to produce maximum effect on you, to change you from the inside and out, and you let it happen. It's part of the contract you enter into when you watch a movie. And there is therefore no one that you give more power to in your life, no one, to influence your emotions, your thoughts, your mood, or anything than to a movie maker. You give them a position of authority in your life, a position of dominance that you do not surrender to anybody else. When you walk into a theater, when you press play, you're agreeing to take the world for two hours on someone else's terms. So you've got two choices. Tell yourself you're not going to watch any more movies or YouTube videos or TikTok videos or Instagram stories or reels or news clips. Then forget you made yourself that promise and drift right back into passivity. Or join us at Sanity at the Movies where we teach you how to watch a movie. That's it. Wow. That's all. That's my pitch. And what does that have to do with the Holocaust? Absolutely nothing. Good. That sounds like a great pitch. Sounds like I shouldn't have stepped on it. Sounds like it's the kind of pitch. You shouldn't have. It was nope. a great pitch. Well, sounds like you you persevered. And I'm glad because... And today, if you join... <laughs> no, 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 no. If yeah. you... Join Sanity at the Movies at Patreon.com, but then you get three friends to join. You'll have your fee waived and that they have to pay their fee. But then if they get three friends to join, they also get their fees waived. Yeah, that's how we get the pyramid scheme in here, guys. You know, got to get it in there somehow. If you join Sanity at the Movies Patreon and you get three people to join, I will mail you a Reese cup. I think you should mail them a copy of The Mummy, at least, just so we can get the pyramid idea in there. Like which, like Brendan Fraser's classic, yeah, Brendan Fraser's the Mummy, film, my, one I, of the greatest movies it, ever made. I think you should privately record a uh, reading of the script for Gladiator Two. Ooh, that's a good idea. Is there a Gladiator Part Two? There was a script. There is. There was a script, and it's absolutely amazing. I started. Like, look, I found it today on accident, and I started like ridiculous, looking at it. crazy, or good. So it opens up with Maximus in a purgatory-like place. Right. No. I've heard about this. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and it's because the way to Elysium is basically blocked because the gods are losing their powers 
because Hephaestus has made himself a Christ or become Jesus or something like that. So the gods send Maximus on a quest to kill Hephaestus, aka the Christ. So like the subtitle is Gladiator 2 Christ Killer or something like that. But then I think what happened, what's supposed to happen in this plot is that he basically becomes like this time hopping, like Lord of, uh, agent of the gods. Yeah. Yeah. Who becomes immortal or something like that. That joins, never made? that joins the dinosaurs that can talk and are working as assassins rejected Jurassic Park sequel and the James Cameron Spider-Man thing, which we are doing at Patreon. Some, the James Cameron Spider-Man thing would have actually been a worthwhile movie to see made in 1991. Cameron? Was going to do Spider-Man? Wrote, he, he wrote a big Spider-Man treatment that didn't end up getting made, but it's pretty interesting. <laughs> and if you want to hear more about it, go to patreon.com forward slash sanity of the movies where we'll read the whole darn thing. Yep. <laughs> okay. That one's good, in yeah. my opinion. I mean, it's got some some bad things in it, but... Right. Like does Doc it's a good make an it's appearance? A, it's a good story. No, he d- no. He, d- he doesn't. Although that's Brandon's apparently uh, a good Brand- Spider-Man movie. Apparently, because it was attached to Cameron, people speculated that he would cast Schwarzenegger as Doc Ock. So that would be fairly glorious in a cornball '90s schlock way. Yeah. Instead, he got Mister Freeze. And <laughs> well, are you guys excited for the new Spider-Man Doc Ock appearance? Sure, why not? Yeah. I mean, easy. I'm here so, for it. It's like I always say, the air conditioning has frozen my heart to your pleas of mercy, Brandon. What? <laughs> that's that's, a, that's Mr. Freeze line from the wonderful film Batman and Robin. Beer conditioning? Yeah, beer conditioning. <laughs> yes, but beer conditioning. <laughs> beer conditioning. <laughs> drinking a lot of beer has frozen. No, air conditioning. Oh. Hey, have we introduced I mean, the fact that Brandon's tears? I acknowledged his presence when he got back okay. on, it, it, and then it, told me to be quiet. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is true. It's pitch. not. It's not quite a turtleneck, but uh, Jake is wearing a very guru kind of just black tee. I'm, it's a it's a gray t shirt. Well, but, yeah. either in honor of his two hero, one of his two heroes, um, Steve Jobs, or that woman who's on trial right now for that testing yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Jake loves Thanatos. the Theranos, or uh, yeah, whatever. Theranos, yeah. Is Lauren, something, yeah. I listened to that podcast series. Hey, guys. What podcast series? The one about, the, the, I don't know, like the, they did one about Theranos or it was interesting. It, t- it just told the story of her fraudulent career. Anyway. Was it good? Uh, it, yeah, it was good. A- HBO did a documentary series in conjunction with it. It was, it was a good time. This is not a podcast it, about podcasts. No, it's a podcast about books. And one of those books is Book of the Dun Cow. It's got book in the title. It's got cow in the title. It's got dun in the title. Brandon, there's a piece of context that I realized you never gave us about this book. What? A piece of context that should have been right up your alley if you hadn't been falling down on the job. He was a modernist. <laughs> no. You, you no. didn't tell us. What, what's the story in Chaucer? Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, you got a similar cast of characters, but in that book, the fox is actually trying to trick everybody. So you have Chanticleer, who's vain and Pertelity or Pertelote. I've never actually looked up how you're supposed to say her name. My audiobook reader pronounced it Pertelote. 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 Mm-hmm. But she has a beautiful voice, and he's vain, and 
the fox is sly and clever and almost gets the best of him, but then in the end doesn't quite get the best of him. So there you go. One of those fable-y kind of things. Yeah. It's not nearly as developed as this book with its characterizations of the creatures. Yeah, well. And the fox in this book, you think is potentially going to turn out to be the bad guy, but actually is just in the wrong place at the wrong time or not in the right place. Yeah. No, he's, he's kind the of the right yeah. time. Well, in that, in that part of the book, I wasn't expecting where babies die. <laughs> yeah. It's a, well, this book is intense. Walter Wangeren is nothing if not a guy that likes to rub your nose in like the, the, the existential grind of, of existence or something like that. I don't know. How's that for a phrase? The existential grind of existence. That's a yeah, except phrase. I don't feel like... You, with existentialists, you always get the feeling that their their existential grind is always like smoking a cigarette in the back of a mm-hmm. French yeah. bar. That sort of yeah. existential grind. No, you guys see the to... sun? Oh, is that the sun? The solar flares. And yeah. <laughs> it's like J.J. Yeah, yeah, Abrams took over Abrams' my... lens flare, yeah. Yeah, 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 lens flare. yeah. I'm about to be... In a J.J. Abrams movie. We really? just need the windows behind you to start glowing orange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then something underwhelming to happen. J.J. Abrams. More like gay, gay Abrams. What, I, what, what if J.J. Abrams were to direct this movie? Oh, what? I mean, the real the real piece of... De resistance? Um, Crap. Information that I failed to give last time is apparently this was an off-Broadway musical. There's an no off-Broadway way. musical. Oh, I don't think there's way. anything you that could have said that, that makes me more happier than the knowledge that there was a musical based on Book of the Dun Cow. Was it any supposed to be any good? It was off Broadway, so yeah. I mean, it could have been done by the University of Evansville Theater. Are you going to tell it to the booking? Alyssa, my daughter, just came in from work. She makes cookies, yeah, for a okay. living, like one of Santa's elves. Yeah, Aww. like at a cookie. They're store? really good cookies too. Yeah, and good. she says she has a funny story. Yeah, well, this, if our, our listeners like funny She stories. says she's not telling everybody. Oh. Uh, I want to hear it. We really want to hear it's it. Probably not, it's probably not something she should tell. <laughs> she work at Baked where all the druggies come and get the No, cookies. it's cr- crumble cookies. It's, we have it's one like of those, a, I think. She'll come over and say hi. She can tell me her story when we're done. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Alyssa. Hi. Hey, it's been a long she, time since you've been on the booking. I was going to say, she's she's an old oh, friend yeah, of the booking. What do you think of Rock-A-Doodle-Doo, Alyssa, the movie? Has the rooster that crows like Elvis? What? Uncle Dookie? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Folks, I'd like to apologize. Listen, I doesn't remember any of these things. Brandon's references to Rock-A-Doodle. Hi, Anna. Come on in here, too. Anna's here, too. Turn it into a family affair. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Intense. Can you cut it out of the booking? What? No, we're not cutting anything she said. No, we're not cutting it out. No, so. <laughs> no they're not going to edit think, it out. You think I edit these things? That was weird. Anyways. Hey. She's she read that book by Nate Wilson. What was that book called? Book of the Blur. Book um, of the Dunblur. Boys of Blur. Boys of Blur. Yeah, and she appeared on our podcast, and that was a really fun episode. Well, guys, let's talk about that Dun Cow and the book wherein he is contained, or she. I guess the Dun Cow is a girl, not metaphorically, but like in the book, the Dun Cow is a lady. Well, I guess cows are ladies. It's probably the most insightful thing I've ever said on the booking. Cows. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you heard it here first. But is the inverse true? Are ladies cows? <laughs> I mean, uh, Rebel Wilson, <laughs> you know. I'm trying to think of other fat ladies. 10 foot pole. 
Barbara Streisand. No, not all ladies are cows. We are married to some beautiful women who are in no way bovine at all. Nicely done, Nathan. True. Our non-bovine wives. (laughs) Man, I love our non-bovine wives. We've got some great non-bovine wives. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Seriously, could you name three Misogynistic. No, we're not. We like our wives. We like them (laughs) non-bovine. Yeah. We like them (laughs) non-bovine. You can't wash dishes with hooves. You can't. You'd break them. (laughs) Break them. Exactly. Uh, I'll be releasing my country single. Uh, you can't watch dishes with hooves <laughs> any day now. <laughs> be a hit novelty song. <laughs> or I'll be run out of town on a rail. <laughs> One of the two. What's the name of your band? Divine Not Bovine? Divine Not Bovine, yeah. Yeah. Shirley Brandon. Shirley Brandon. Shirley, Shirley Brandon. Brandine, the bovine divine. Swine. <laughs> the bovine swine. <laughs> Shirley Brandine, the bovine twine. <laughs> Hey, guys, speaking of bovine swine, uh, <laughs> Walter Wangeren wrote some bad poetry, but mm-hmm. he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Hey, Jay has been waiting with bated breath for us to talk about this Book of the Dun Cow and finally figure out what we think, and I have purposely avoided coming up with a take until now, so what do I need to think about well that, done. Dun- that Book of the Dun Cow, guys? Help me figure this one out. I uh, thought it was like it was fun to read. I liked it. I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, it was a fun read. Yeah. That's where I'm at. So it's been about a week now since we all finished the book and we were gonna mm. talk about it. And <laughs> has it has it been a week? Yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> a week. It's been a long Definitely time. Definitely not longer than a week. Definitely not longer than a week. Yep. Definitely not two and a half months. Yeah. 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 It's been Definitely right. not. Yep. Definitely not longer than that. Liked it. I think I liked it. I thought it was fun. I liked the characters. I thought the writing was good and engaging. Like Jake said last time, his style. There's something unique about his style. And with a, it, you could easily call it affected. It kind of mm-hmm. is affected. It's a little yeah. bit, yeah. But, it's, but it's, it works. Yeah, yeah, it's elevated in such a way that it's a good tone for, the, for what he's trying to do. It, it elevates the story he's trying to tell. Yep. I would say the best writers... I would say the best writers feel like they're not trying, even if they are. They feel like they're not trying. They feel like they're just giving you their thoughts. The second best writers feel like they're trying and succeeding, and the worst writers feel like they're trying and failing. I would put him in the camp of it feels like he's trying and succeeding. It I feels agree. Like, it feels yeah. like he's doing a There's thing. There's nothing effortless about this. No, it's like- It doesn't it, it, feel effortless. It does feel affected, but affected mm-hmm. to good effect. Yes. Well, I think part of- what makes it work is the fact that a he's writing a fable mm-hmm. right and kind of retelling a chaucer story right and so that carries over into this heightened tone that he uses so he can kind of get away with it but also yeah it should feel like, like, even like with, a, go it, ahead. it's mythological enough it should feel like epic poetry mm-hmm. yeah and it and it it does yeah but also even like when it comes to the dialogue you feel that if animals were going to talk, they wouldn't necessarily talk like we do. Like mm-hmm. they might have an animal way sure. of speaking. Right. And so it kind of works for this rooster with his uh, group of hens. You would expect them not to have the same, because language reflects reality. Right. And 
you know, and he a, could still find the reality of how yeah. a rooster would talk to his hens and strut <laughs> around his roost. And he does, and so a, and a weasel and all these guys are going to have their own way of speaking and their own way of saying things. That in the story, it, it works. It works pretty well. Yeah, I, I, I will say it. it would be interesting to read this book not right after reading Watership Down and then Howl's Moving Castle. Because that is some stiff competition when it comes to fantasy, when it comes to world building, and when it comes to descriptive dialogue and animals. And when it comes to style. When it comes to absol- absolutely everything that this book does pretty well, we we have just read something that does it a little bit better in either Howl or uh, more specifically Water. That's not Howl. true. I mean, in terms of- That's not true. I think, I think Duncow is more punchy and engaging than- in some ways than either of those two books. And I think the one place where I can make you agree with me that it does at least one thing better is action. Yeah. Well, I would love to be able to give that to you and give that to Jay. But, man, the fight between Bigwig and General Woundwort is a great, it's, it's great action. I, I, would, I would say Duncow is better. Yes, I, I will. Okay, I'll give it to you. Uh, this is one of the best action books we've read, actually. I'd say it, it comes behind Dune and it comes behind Ricky Ticky Tabby as far as the action stuff that we've read. But I don't think that you can put anything above it besides those. No. No, I mean, I don't even know. I mean, what else have we read that has action? Anna Karenina has the horse On race. that level? Nothing on that level. I mean, I'll be branded for saying, War and Peace, you guys. Some of the best depictions. Don't but be that's not really insufferable. A wrinkle in time. Yeah. That, yeah. Don't they just love the bad? The Chronicles of Narnia. Tolkien, Harry Potter. New, so okay, we're making a bold claim. We're we are actually putting this. We've above. done all of those books. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I'd put it above those. I mean, ultimately, while a young boy's imagination can really fill in a lot of details for something like, say, Helm's Deep, Tolkien is not interested in giving you an awesome like sword fight or something like that. Some some orc heads right. roll. He, he gives you a little gore, a little little violence, but. And Narnia, same thing, actually. There's not a lot of descriptive action scenes. There is some, like, Peter lopped his head off, which I always liked as a kid, but that's not the same thing as a great action scene. And so... So what makes his action work so well, then? Not to steal your questions, Nathan. No, no, no. I That's an interesting question, because I have tried in my life to write action before, and it's really hard not to be boring with it. Not to, like, how much description do you give, and... How do you make it well, yeah. feel visceral? It's like when movie critics criticize a director for not being good at action. Mm-hmm. They usually have specific things in mind, but I'm not sure I've ever completely even understood that with like cinema. But right. with, I'm thinking what I can understand with cinema is you want to know where the center of the action is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And you also want to be able to be immersed in the fight scene without getting too distracted. You want to know what's happening. And you want you it to want be well two, choreographed. You want two things, and they're kind of opposite things. They're things that if either one of them, one of them can overwhelm the other. And the two things are you want to be able to follow the strategy, and you want to be, have forward momentum. You want to have visceral forward momentum. And so some books get bogged down in too much. You know, if you've ever read like Three, three Musketeers or something, it's like, he decided to use this defense and do this thing, and it's just like strategy, and it's kind of boring. Or if you've read... Certain other books, I don't know what it, Boys of Blur or something, just to pick a random thing that we've read. It'll just be straight viscera, nothing. You don't know why anyone's doing 
But what I love, so I think the best action scene we've read actually, say what you will about the book, but the best action scene we've read is the first big knife fight between Paul Atreides and the guy, the Freeman guy that challenges him. And what I love about that scene is that it's fast and it's brutal and it's violent and it has this visceral forward momentum to it, but you're also in Paul's head as he makes life or death decisions and you can kind of follow those decisions. Even if you don't know anything about knife fighting, you can understand why he's doing what he's doing and what it can accomplish. And I think Ricky Tiki Tavi for a fight between a mongoose and a cobra <laughs> is similar. And I think the fight scenes in this are similar. Walter Wengren's actually also just not afraid to ladle on the violence, which... Yeah, that's the other part of it. He just... It's it's kind of horrifying and maybe some of the more visceral Yeah, I mean, it is gory. These, yeah. Those... I think he gets away with it because it's animals, so you don't feel the same repugnance that you might feel with, you know, if the were humans just tearing chunks out of each other. But I don't know. Is that a good theory? What What does make a good literary action scene? I think you're right. You're going to hate me for this, but one of the other action scenes that I go to, and it's not like a fight scene, but it's just because the action is good. Mm -hmm. It is the Christmas Troika ride in War and Peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no need to hate you for that. It's a good action scene. I think think there has to be a certain poetry to it. Like there, there has to be, the rhythm of the prose has to convey something about the action that is happening too, which is more of a dance than, and, and kind of hard to put your finger on. There's a, there's a lot of it factor, a lot of pixie dust that sort of goes into, you might call it pacing, but I think there's more yeah, to it that's, even. That's what I meant by forward momentum, I think, just. Well, it can't take too long, but it also can't take too short. It it's it's really difficult to do. But like in Dune, if I remember right, certain aspects of the knife fight even have like in the word choices a staccato. Yeah. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. Yeah, where the wordplay feels like thrusts and parry, whereas I don't know. And you just, I think. I think there's a way with with the word choice, with the rhythm, that 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 the poetry of it that can convey, that can color the action. I think that's true. I also think the really great literary action scenes, and I have read Tom Clancy and I have read Jack Reacher and things like that. Those tend to be very staccato. Just and then Jack Reacher snapped the guy's neck. I mean, that's like a Jack Reacher action scene. It's really fast. It takes like three or four sentences but what what i like about the examples that we've given is that they actually do slow it down they keep a, a, a nice visceral feeling forward momentum but if you were going to compare them to a cinematic equivalent it wouldn't really be like jason Bourne or something it would be more like a Zack snyder kind of you can actually hold on a moment it's like the vronsky horse race when vronsky's horse turns over you feel like in the movie it would have to be Slow motion Slow-mo. because you're living in Vronsky's mm-hmm. head as time slows down and his horse tumbles and everything just goes to absolute and, garbage. And in those moments, time does slow down. Yeah, and I think and yeah. that's the that's the beauty of portraying it that way. Right, and and while cinema will al- always be a better medium for capturing movement, obviously because it's a visual media, I think literature can capture that kind of thing incredibly well. Just the 
I'm in my head in this moment as everything comes to a head as, as, as mm-hmm. you know, I do this as the other guy do, does this. That's what Dune, I think, does really well. It is staccato. It is fast. But it can all, you can also be in Paul's head as he makes strategic decisions and as things either pay off or don't. And that can be really powerful and fun to, to follow along with. Yep. But Wangren's yeah. more quick and gory, I think, than the other two, than Dune or maybe Ricky Ticky Tavi. It's just. He is, but I think that they all share that element in common of sort of this poetic balance and sense of moving from what's happening outside versus what's happening inside this person's head as they're moving through this. Because you with Tolstoy, you get the snow, but then you also get what's happening with Nikolai and Sonia and, mm-hmm. or Sophie. Which one is Sonia in that time? Yeah. Yeah, it is Sonia. Mm-hmm. And uh, same with the horse ride or, or yeah. Vronsky's horse race. And so there you also get what the two, what the rooster's thinking, but then also what's happening with the actual, just the bodies. And then, and it's just perfectly, they, they don't spend too much time on each one, but enough to make you feel like you're a part of the action. Mm-hmm. And like you have something at stake too. Yeah. Like, I will uh, say, I think all the examples that we've really given, including Tolstoy, are lean more towards a subjective close-up view of things than they do towards a wide angle, to speak cinematically, kind of objective. Seems like mm-hmm. what we all three like is living in somebody's head as they undergo an action scene. Like good Actually, character development. We want to know I mean, that's definitely what Tolstoy, the that's Vronsky in the horse race, that's Pierre yeah. in the battle that he... Andre in the battle. Well, it's Andre in the battle, but doesn't Pierre crash a battle near the end of that book? No, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I'm and, just and saying, I'm just agreeing. I'm also saying Andre. Oh, you're, right, right, yeah. I misheard you. Andre. But that, yeah, that is that's kind of key to Tolstoy's way of handling battle scenes. Is that yes, you're getting the battle, but you're there with the characters, so right. you even care about Kutuzov, the general, right? Right. So. Well, and that's also what I love about the two knife fights in Dune is you're in Paul's head and you're watching him, I've said this a million times now, but make these choices. And it's fun because he's had training and he's trying to live up to it. And he's also channeling his newly developed Cuisinart Sazerac powers or whatever. And uh, it's awesome. That's why Dune's Cuisinart probably the Sazerac. Best. Yeah. He Can you make a Sazerac with a Cuisinart? Sure. Probably. You just put the ingredients in there and hit... Cuisin. Probably not the greatest thing. No, it's, I'm not going to say it's a good idea, but can you do no. it? When we start our literary themed jazz bar, we'll have a Cuisinart Sazerac. Yeah, that'll be the Indeed. first drink on the menu, and our bar will close <laughs> in <laughs> under a week, probably. Yeah. But <laughs> it'll just be the three of us sitting up on the stage. <laughs> Does it have to be a jazz bar? I mean, books. I know that's no, kind of a, a beat literary thing, but can't we just. I don't it even just know. Be what should book, it be? A book bar. <laughs> Can it can it be classical? No, that's lame. What should it be? I don't want it to be dad rock, but I don't want it to be. We jazz. don't need music. We the three of us will be up on stage talking about books, mm-hmm. and everybody will just be drinking their drinks. That sounds fantastic. Paying what no drink would we base on, What drink would we base on this book? On Book of the Dun Cow. Yeah. Well, there's just got to be a punny drink name. Let's see, the Book of the Duh. <sighs> the book of the Long Island iced tea. Nailed it. That's awful. Well, you got a Moscow mule. Why can't you have a, a dun cow? A dun, a dun cow. Yeah. 
So, th- th- so we just have a drink called the Dun Cow. Yeah, yeah and, and it's, it's just a riff it sounds on like a good drink. Meal. I would have that. Sounds like it's got Chant- milk in it, quite frankly. The Chanticleer. The Chanticleer? I'd have a Chanticleer. The yeah. Pertolote. The Pertolote? That could have Pernod, the Pernotolote. Uh, no, see, no, one one drink per book. Oh, no. yeah. The Duncow does not a get a whole... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing a Duncow-themed bar, guys. Okay. Sorry. Uh, speaking have, of the Duncow, I do I'm gonna think bring that my business sense to the bear yeah. here. Much in a similar way to Lewis, I felt like I would just... I just wished he had stuck to the story and not tried to add anything weird and spiritual to this book because the Duncow was my least favorite part. That yeah. was just weird. Yeah. Well, what what is the moral of this book again? I mean, uh, I don't know, but does anybody want to explain to me who the Duncow was and I think why she's, she's a the part Holy of this? Spirit? Yeah, pretty sure. Or or God? I mean, she's divine, right? Not just bovine, but divine. She's some divine, kind of yeah. bovine. Yeah, divine character. I mean, she's sad-eyed and help me piece together this story so so his kids die and he's sad or his kid dies yeah. and he's sad and then the dun cow is like hey life happens don't be sad and he's like okay dun cow and then he's like full of peace and acceptance or something like that mm-hmm. and then, not really like no he's ang- he's angry with god essentially metaphorically but he's angry with god i remember that yeah the whole book basically comes down to the world is full of evil and even if you're a hero, dealing with the evils of this world will make you bitter, and it's kind of okay to be angry with God about all of it. Because God is a benevolent force that is prepared to be bigger than that. Yeah, he's bigger than that, so you can he or rail and than that. be bitter and angry and punish the people that you love until they manipulate you by setting your ego against your friend and force you out of your... But also, if you're, an, if you're an idiot savant dog, then you can actually be the savior of the world by jumping down a hole. <laughs> is that what he yeah, is, is an idiot savant? Right. <laughs> yeah, well, who is Mundo Cunny Dog? Like, what is the... That That was the part that I intentionally, just for fun, to make this podcast more spicy and interesting, did not let myself think too much about what is the point of this dog He fills character. the role of any sort of, like, Eeyore character. Self-pitying, sad. But then he gets the big sacrifice at the end. What's with that? Yeah, well, it's it's sort of like trying to do what what Lewis would do with a similar character, where mm-hmm. the dutiful, the self-pitying but dutiful. Like a... Puddle glum. Puddle glum, yeah, like, a trumpkin, or one of those guys. Yeah. The gardener and... Uh, yeah, he, he actually stuff. gets... Because he, he gets to be the one, not the not the hero. To make the big sacrifice, and so it's a subversion. Like yeah. it should have been the hero, but the hero is too much of a grouch, and so the idiot savant got to do it. Well, that, but also he had other things that he needed to do. The hero needed, and to this guy's him. whining his whole life and sad, but also he's faithful and loyal, and he does things that prove his character outside of his extreme self pity. Mm-hmm. And so, in the end, he gets to have this noble sacrifice that overcomes all of his nasty, not nasty, but just weak characteristics that are forgivable, partly because they're funny, or supposed to be funny. Mm-hmm. You know, like Puddleglum's the same way. Yeah. If Puddleglum was just an outright miser and hateful person, then it would be very different than the glum, moody person that he is. 
So, but if Puddle Glum had killed the Snake Queen at the end, you would have been like, "Ah, oh, cool, Puddle Glum stepped up. That's awesome." When the cow jumps down the mine shaft or whatever it is, you mean the dog? The dog. Sorry, you feel like he's accepted the mantle of being the archetype or something like he you feel like he just sort of has to be the one to make the sacrifice because it's important for other people to do other things and Mm -hmm. he's got one special thing that he can do and that's hold on tight yeah are we supposed to think that it should have been chanticleer but chanticleer was too weak and i don't i don't think i don't think so i mean maybe but that wasn't my read or my impression. Like it's an indictment of Chanticleer? Yeah, is it like is it somehow an indictment that he didn't make the redemptive sacrifice that the dog... I mean, some of it, I think, is just like, you don't get what you want. You want the cathartic way out here, Chanticleer, yeah, and <laughs> you want to just go down, and instead you're going to have to walk away and live and deal with the bitterness of having sacrificed so much, having borne so much, having other people, feeling like other people don't appreciate it and don't love you. And being all wounded and bitter, and you're going to have to grow past that. You don't get the cathartic, and that's not the end that leaders get often. It's the foot soldiers who get those ends. Right. And it doesn't feel fair. Life's not fair. Nothing in this book is fair. It's not meant to be fair. Yeah. Walter Wengeren has certainly has a line in, well, it would have been nice if you would have said something nice to Monday Gunny Dog before he sacrificed himself to save the world, but you didn't. Now you got to live with it. Would have been nice if your children didn't die, but they did. There's evil. Now you got to live with it. There's worm. What do you want? Chanticleer. There's evil. So I don't know. I mean, that doesn't sound too bad. No. Is this, do we just like this book? Does this just, why does this book? Because, because it is bitter and angry and then wants you to be, feel justified in your bitterness and anger towards God. Mm -hmm. That's why. I mean, it's taken a while. It has been two and a half months since I read this book. I don't know why I read it so long ago, or maybe I thought we were discussing it much earlier than we did. We were actually scheduled to do it before Hal, and I don't know why that got reversed, but it did. So, not Jake's yeah. Book, but So, anyhow, but I remember just thinking, this is the kind of person who, it's, Tim tells a story of when his dad died in the hospital, the chaplain or pastor or somebody came up to him and told him that he had a right to be angry with God. Mm-hmm. And that was a really decisive moment in his life where he had a, he was he made a decision to to love God in the midst of his pain or to be bitter and angry with God. And the evil of a pastor walking to you at your most vulnerable in a moment like that and telling you you have a right to be angry with God. That's the kind of thing that is sort of happening here. It's kind of, in his, the best spin I think you can put on it is that in his desire to force you to reckon straight ahead with that actual real evil of this world, he's willing to throw everything else under the bus. Yeah. Including God. And that's what makes it feel off. Yeah. Yeah. It did feel off. This book, this is one of those books, very much like Till We Have Faces, that feels like it's come so close to some kind of profundity, but then it's just 2% off, and that 2% is so deadly that you'd almost rather it be 50%, because 50% off would just be 
oh, well, this is kind of silly, whatever. But being just a little bit wrong is ultimately more poisonous because it feels right in a lot of ways. You know, like you you read something wicked this way comes and it's like, we can love the bad guy to death. I don't feel, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel nearly as threatened by that because I'm just like, whatever, that's cheesy. But but this, I'm like, there's something a little bit enticing actually about this and something poisonous about it. And I don't know. I wasn't sure whether the instinct that I had, I liked the book. I did like the book. I found it to be entertaining. But also I felt like it it might have been playing to some of some bad instincts in me. Like whatever it, whatever it is in me that likes till we have faces, whatever it is in me that likes depravity for the sake of depravity. And you think that's here? Mysticism and Gnosticism. A little well, bit. Well, the mysticism yeah. for sure with the dung cow and some of the yeah. weirdness happening around that. Yeah. And feels a little bit like he's got a soft spot for the paganists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what is maybe most till we have faces about it. So, which is just an undercurrent with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that world. I mean, you get it with, a, you know, I'll stop there. You get it with yep. people. <laughs> Don't want to start any firefights. Well, I liked this book. I really did like this book. but I, It was really enjoyable to read. It was one I'm of the most a- fun reads that I, in recent memory. Well... Yeah. I'm that sort of with Howl. you, except for that Howl, Howl and Watership were both pretty fun, but... Howl was fun. Howl was fun. Howl, Howl and Dunkow were fun in a light sort of way. Watership was an Watership. investment. Yeah. You had to invest in it, and there were regular payoffs. It was fun in the sense that The Hobbit is fun. Yeah. But yeah. Watership is the superior novel of all three of them, but... Yeah. By a long I personally time. enjoyed Howl's writing better than this. But. You'd pick up a book like Hal or like Dunkow to read over a weekend mm, yeah, or something like that on vacation or on a little weekender trip and it's fun, like enjoyable reading. You decide to read Watership Down, you decide to read The Hobbit and right. you take the time it takes to read it and actually enjoy it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I have to say this book, I liked it. I'm not quite sure why it has the legacy it has. Like, why do people love this book? Because I liked it fine, but I'm not sure I understand what it is that people. Uh, find the same reason so that people, I think it has to do with the timing. I suspect, suspect it has to do with the timing. I suspect it's similar to hitting Dostoevsky at a certain time of life or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, if you're young and you're dealing with the. Oh, there actually is evil out there. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. The, in the same in in the same way that a Dostoevsky or Flannery O'Connor or something can hit that spot of affirming, yeah, there really is evil out there. Yeah, it really is heavy. Yeah, it really does suck. Like bad things really do happen and it's hard. Mm-hmm. And you want to live and maybe bask in that a little bit. And maybe a little too much. But, you know, it hits that spot of just like, yeah, like and it does try to offer some kind of hope. Yeah. It may not do a great job of it, but it, it he, he certainly goes out of his way, in any case, to make sure it doesn't feel cheap. And I think that's something that anybody, especially a young man who's reckoning with the evils of this world will appreciate, even if he comes back with a more mature understanding later. Yep. There is there's real sacrifice that's required to defeat evil. 
which, as we've often said, is something that J.K. Rowling sort of landed that plane, but maybe didn't quite. I don't know. Maybe she did. But anyway, it's, it's an open question for her, and it's a closed question for Mr. Wengren. Mr. Wengren. I don't know. Any other insights about Book of the Duncow, Brandon? I don't think so. Trying to, I guess the last thing I would, I've been wondering is like, would I give this to my kids? My older boys, I think I would. I don't really get worried about like the weird mysticism, the, the sort of bitter undertones that, so yeah, I guess two things leaving. I just wanted to wrap my head around is A, would I do that? B, so if Jake, like what's the biggest concern you have for this pastorally, like this book, what was the, summarize that again for me. That it validates a certain kind of of grudge against God. Bitterness yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah. Kind of like a grief anger observed. That this is the way that it is, and yeah. it sucks, and I have to live with the fact that God could, and in my moral world, should have make things different, but he doesn't, and yeah. just kind of sucks. Yeah. I can imagine, like, if somebody was wanting to argue against that, they'd just say... He's doing Job, Jake. Like, the story here is there's evil. It's inexplicable. And where is the point where God comes in instead of crying and says, shut up? Yeah, that's that's the thing, is there's not that moment. Be humble. And that's when the Duncow shows up and says, here's some random piece, and uh, I'm not going to answer any of your questions, actually, but uh, you know what? I'm the Duncow, and you're not. I don't buy that argument. I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm just saying I can imagine. Yeah, it's not the same. There's not the fear. There's not the magnificence and the splendor and the terror. There's nothing. It's all lacking. There's nothing about putting your hand over your mouth and repenting in dust and ashes. Yeah. There's yeah. no. And that's what Chanticleer needed. No truly sincere moment where he shuts up, puts his hand over his mouth and says, who am I? Yeah, I think that's, so, as much as I like the style of this book, like, as I was reading some of the stuff Wangren would say. We all like, feel tempted, sorry. We all feel tempted to be angry with God when bad things happen. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. Like, bad things have happened to all of us. Our, our parents have divorced. Uh, people have died that we love and that we feel like we need. And it's easy to be angry about that and feel like something has been taken with you that you needed or that you deserved or that you didn't deserve to have taken away from you. And at the end of the day, the answer to that is you're not God. Were you there and when it's I made the okay. whale? Were you there? Yeah. yeah. And the response to feeling that anger rise in you should actually be sadness, repentance, sorrow over your own pride that you know you think you know better than the god who knows where the storehouses of snow are mm-hmm. right and that's what this book is missing it's it's not even that it evokes the anger because a good book could evoke the anger yeah but it doesn't have anywhere to channel it that's positive that's good that's humble yeah and so i was going to say that Reading about Wangerin and some of the things he would say, like he said that in later books, like he didn't really have the same success that he had with this book with any of his later books. Mm-hmm. And editors tried to tell him to tone the language down to, to not use that heightened style. 
in his later books. And he's like, well, that's kind of the thing I do. I'm going to keep that. And you can't help but think that that's some of that lack of humility mm-hmm. that you see there even comes out in the sort of elaborate way that he tells this story. Like this is, it worked, but you're also seeing an ego at work that really needed like Chanticleer to be told sometimes it's good to shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And uh, I mean, you get that with a lot of authors, but sometimes it just comes through like Mark Twain. You get that with mm-hmm. his voice. So that's what Mark Twain needed to be told for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes Samuel, it's best to just shut up. Yeah. yeah. So, but I still like the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's an obvious point, but if, if, if the essence of God was portrayed as masculine, I think I might have an easier time swallowing a lot of this book's conceits. The fact that anytime yeah. God shows up, he's A, a cow, and B. Makes me definitely have more respect for Lewis and Aslan. Yeah. I mean. He made the, As- he made the better choice. Aslan could have gone wrong in a lot of ways, but he didn't go wrong by not having power. He's not a tame mm. lion. After all, no. but the dun cow feels like a tame cow. Yeah. yeah. Well, how many udders out of 700 do you give to this book, Brandon? 635. Whoa, that's high. You really I, like I don't this know. Book. I don't know what percentage that is. I'm not good at math. <laughs> how many udders out of 700 do you give to Anna Karenina? 700. That's pretty low, don't you think? I mean, can I, I feel go like higher? That's low. 7,000. Yep, that's the correct answer for Anna Crowley. Okay. I mean, I don't feel like this book gets more than War and Peace, 7,001. Yeah. Mm, 609,099 would be more accurate. <sighs> considering that it is the inferior book. 400. Uh, four, yeah. 400. Mm, yeah. That feels... So that's coming in just over 50%. Yeah. Okay. It's a positive review. To yeah. F. Well, so I think of things it. as grades. That's how I think of things. I know I you think guys of think as, of things as movie stars. Yeah, I think of them as movie stars, and three out of four is fine. Three out of four is like, it was good. You're giving it of, more like three and a half out of five. You know, three and a half out of five is like this movie did its job. I'm glad I okay. saw it. You well, then I, if we're doing movie star logic and not teacher logic, then sure, four hundred. There we All go. All right. Yeah, I I <laughs> give it. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it three hundred and ninety nine. I didn't want to give the guy an F for a a book that's perfectly passable. No, it's good. It's good. As for whether I'd give it to a kid. I don't know. Would kids even like this? I guess kids might like this. Uh, I don't Some know. kids would cool like action. the rooster fights. Yeah, it's got good rooster fights. But it's got an awful lot of like, Chanticleer and his wife had to learn how to have a relationship. I mean, it's it's just a weird book. I'm not quite sure I'm vibing on why people, why it means so much to people. Like it, I can tell. I, I, get, I get the young men kind of thing like Jake was talking about, but it feels like a lot of people just remember this book with a lot of fondness well what's strange about it though is it wasn't just the like conservative christians who were going to trend towards classical and learning and also giving up their faith and becoming catholics which you get over you get a little bit of that with the way that he's i mean the Duncal is kind of like the blessed virgin mary Mm -hmm. so you can get the sense that wenger and probably 
was on the edge his entire life there with just deciding to become a Catholic, which a lot of those guys do. He was, he was ELCA. Yeah, that's, that's true. What does that mean for our listeners? If there's, if there's a listener out there that doesn't know what we covered it in our context episode, but he's evangelical Lutheran church in America. It's a pastor. Right. Of a liberal mainline Lutheran denomination. That's almost as close to Roman Catholic as you can get. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'm not sure that this book has anything to say that like The Shack or The Lovely Bones or one of those books that's like something terrible happened and terrible things happen, but I guess there's a purpose behind it. So that's cool, huh? Has to say. It is cool. It is cool that there's a purpose behind things. That's true. Would you like to call out our patrons? Yeah. It's making my favorite quick. part of the show. My daughter's <laughs> been patiently waiting for this computer. She's just been standing there drumming her fingers the whole time. She's All got right. her homework done, man. She's yeah. got Drum- 40, 33 minutes or something like that. And well, maybe I should let you guys do this and jump off. Oh, Brandon, Brandon. Here, we'll make it really fast. We'll make it really fast. What are just, we going to do? Just say the, the name of different cow species as as I read our patrons. So here I go. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds, the artful Milk. Anthony Dodger, the little cigar story, <laughs> the immortal Chelsea E, Brisket. Jimmy Beam and little Annie Bokley, Sir Lloyd of the Valley, T-Bone. Andrew uh, Nestor, the lovebirds, ribeye. the Keith Master, ribeye. David's Money Men Trucking, John and Prime Joel, rib. little bit of Ribeye, Jay and Katie, who are called Love Cheese and also Ribeye's pretty good. It's very pretty. Mother, happy his mother Beth. <laughs> brisket. Neither not me. Ribeye and brisket. I think. I think I could live on. Dana Tavares. Ribeye and brisket. Just ribeye and brisket. I don't think I would need anything else. Green Dylan. 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 Lavender's blue. Lavender's green. I love you. Dude, brisket's really pretty no tasty. Bear chief, the it's really Manny great Chloe, when it's done well. Like you know what's you good? Know what beef ribs. Jiu-jitsu Jeffrey. You know Never had a good really beef good. rib. Ribeye. Ribeye is really good. Jay of Rack and Ruin. Frankenstein. One minute left. Timothy the Writer at <laughs> Did you say Frankenstein? <laughs> no, I said I told her no, we got one did. minute left. Oh, Frankenstein. Yeah, because he's joining us. You like ribeye, Alyssa? Ribeye. Frank you ever had ribeye steel, steak? Cody, Jack of the Library, yeah. Barbarian, Dracula. She said she said ribeye before. Bobadilla, 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 Frankenstein. I meant to say ribeye. Ryan the Terror. Alyssa says brisket wings. Erica of the Cream and Toast is no longer stuck in the cold place. She's Ben Solo and Cody. Any other part of the cow? John the Cosmic King of Cast. Matthew the Mind Flare. And you're okay. Get your gun. She grew up in this household. She's indoctrinated. Your brisket is fantastic. It is true. It's great brisket. Lord of the Lady of the Crystal Lake. I bet Marianne, if we put our minds to it, we could make a pretty good ribeye. You would make a superior ribeye to your brisket because it's a superior cut of meat. Maybe There's I a won't. reason why people don't like brisket, and it's because it's so easy to get wrong. Oh, yeah. They dry it out. It, dry or soggy, and there's yeah. all kinds of ways to go wrong with brisket. Really great brisket is really great, soggy but it's super hard to get ribeye wrong. It hey, is an guys, art. Guys, we need to Friends, it is we, an we art. We need to reintroduce a returning, Such a, a prodigal patron, guys. Who? We've got a, a prodigal patron that returned. Oh, I know about this. Actually, two of them. What? 
this is exciting. The prodigal, I, the prodigals have come home. The we got to slaughter that fattened dun cow, man. Yeah, let's slaughter that fattened dun cow. Oh, That's what is. this whole podcast it's, has been. It's done been slaughtered. It's done been <laughs> slaughtered, cow. We're going to have some brisket. We're going to have some ribeye steak. And we're going to have some T-bone. It's going to be great. Some New York mm-hmm. strip. Some it's going to be divine party. Some ground Ain't nothing like a divine some, some, some ground chuck. Some ground chuck. All right, guys. some bacon in there. Yeah, some beef bacon. <laughs> uh, guys. Yeah, wait. guys. It's called guys. beef jerky. What? We have none other than one of our favorite patrons. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was funny. We have none other than one of our favorite patrons, and then he cuts out on us. We have none other, <laughs> guys, than one of our favorite patrons and one of our favorite other patrons. Now, in connubial bliss. Oh. Oh. Can we say the other thing that they are? Is that like just public knowledge right now? I feel like By it's the time public this knowledge lands. Right now. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. They're they in jail. Done- there, yep, yep, yep. They were selling heroin. It was unfortunate. He Listen, really likes this book. baby. Yeah, he's a big fan baby. of this book. Yep, they're having their own little dun cow. <laughs> hopefully, no basilisks are around. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. guys. It's Jeremy, the dark hooded Lord of Death. Woo! And none other than a patron that we've all been, I think everyone's been missing, which is Maya! Maya! (laughs) The Dark Hooded Lady of Death. I guess. I mean, she's married to the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Does that mean she gets her own dark hood? No, she just, gets. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely the lady of death. Jake says no. No, she can be the lady of light, the pink hooded lady of death. Maybe she has a pink hood. You think pink? Well, I mean, I don't know. She's a lady. They like the color pink, don't they? The ladies, the light garbed lady of light. Yeah, hmm. you know, she's still married to the dark hooded lord of death. I don't think she's bringing the light here. My daughter says I got to get off. She needs this computer. <laughs> All right, do your homework, Alyssa. Boo. All right, have a good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.